I, I was around the NHL so long. I'm on the same pension that uh, your dads are on, the old yeah. Gordie Howe pension. I started yeah. in the 70s on that one. I've got three pensions with the NHL. But the bad news is they're all in Canadian funds. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> the Parant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness. Bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy organic lifestyle. I don't know. But, so you're um, from Canada. Your family was your family like uh, was anyone else in your family a ref? Well, players like no. My brother uh, just Rick scene? and I. Well, my dad played in the minor pro leagues. He was he played in the International Hockey League. Uh, he played over in Scotland one year when he was 19 years of age. And they were all Canadians. They had a tryout at Maple Leaf Gardens uh, for this league, uh, the Scottish International Hockey League. And uh, Dad made uh, he stayed actually uh, with. Uh, Bill Barilko, uh, who wow. tragically passed in uh, in an airplane accident after he scored the winning goal uh, to win the Stanley Cup for the Leafs. Wow. Uh, but uh, Dad was a uh, childhood friend of, of Bill, and so he stayed at his place uh, around the corner from Maple Leaf Gardens. He made the league. They went over on a ship. He had a great year over there, came back at the International Hockey League. My dad was, and, and I don't like the term, but I everybody can relate to it my dad was a goon <laughs> he was he was also a boxer he had forearms like popeye unbelievably <laughs> tough. And, we're, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the 93 missed high stick call and how a leaf fan made the mistake to drive after that game at 3 30 in the morning to my dad's house in sarnia ontario and oh, wanted God. to do some damage to the old man chasing down the street. We'll save oh, that oh. one for when we talk about 93. But, Carrie, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring that up, but awesome. I'm, I'm glad you want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, my brother and I, just two of us, uh, I was the little junkyard dog older brother. My brother was uh, bigger, skilled. Uh, he was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks. We played junior together for a year before he went off to Oshawa and uh, finished his uh, a major junior career there, uh, and I had embarked on an officiating career. I'm two years older. Uh, brother Rick passed uh, with uh, a cancer during COVID uh, this uh, oh. past uh, November. Um, it was a battle and a struggle. Uh, he was really a skilled player. Uh, he played in Oshawa with uh, Rick uh, Nifty Middleton and uh, – uh, that group of guys, Billy Lahead actually was, uh, we were line mates, uh, and, uh, Bill was the first, uh, first pick of the Detroit Red Wings, uh, the year that he and brother Rick were eligible for the entry draft. Uh, so yeah, it, um, uh, I just wasn't big enough, good enough. Uh, my dad taught me how to fight, uh, in the kitchen. When I was 12 years old. He was also <laughs> a boxer, as I mentioned, and he would tell me to put my hands up. I'm a lefty. I had really fast hands. And he would slap me down and boom, I, I hit the deck and I'd get back up. He said, you got to put your hands up. So he, he schooled me well. I played three years of AAA midget for him. We won all Ontario championships. We had five guys go off our team uh, into the NHL. Uh, Wayne Merrick won four cups with the Islanders. Uh, Bob Neely, uh, first pick of uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, big Bob. Uh, so he was, he was always a big kid and, uh, but yet 
whenever there was uh, a tap on the shoulder to take care of business, it was me, the little guy that went out and had to do it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, every uh, we played against Ricky Kehoe in, uh, in he was in Windsor in the playoffs. He'd get like five goals in the first game. My dad would say, OK, you're you're on Kehoe. Uh, if he goes to the, you shadow, if he goes to his bench, you might even have to go sit beside him. Uh, so that was my, uh, assignments, uh, throughout, uh, the three years of, of midget that I played for him. Uh, we had, uh, we had uh, some, some interesting times, um, share one and, and I don't honest to goodness, I, at five foot seven, uh, and a hundred and what was I? A hundred and. First year junior, I pulled 122 pounds, so I was like just a little guy. Uh, but I could fight scared better than they could mad. And uh, so we were in this, this uh, the aftermath of the silver stick tournament. It was the silver blades for midget age kids. And we're in the final game over in Port here in Michigan. And uh, there was we were winning the game, but they, it was against an American team. And there was this big defenseman, dirty, dirty. And he was sticking our guys. And uh, my dad was very disciplined. He said, guys, let's win the game. Don't, don't take penalties, win the game. So we're up 5-1 with, you know, five minutes left in the game. I get a tap on the shoulder. He said, go teach that big kid a lesson. <laughs> now it's time. I look, ah. So I went out and I, I speed bagged him with both hands. I had very fast hands and they're bony and I cut guys. And I had him cut over both eyes. We get thrown out of the game. I'm in the dressing room. Our guys come in. We won the tournament. Everybody's happy. And I hear this <laughs> argument out in the hallway outside the dressing room door. And it's a woman. And it, and it sounded like my dad. And so he, he slips in the door dressing room. He locks the door. He came over and he put his arm around me. He said, listen, Kerry. He said, I'm really proud of the way that you taught that guy a lesson. He, he was a bully and he deserved it. Uh, he said, you had no problem taking the kid but i don't think you can take his mother she's out there waiting for you oh my god <laughs> the best he said we we got to get you out here she's waiting oh my said, god okay. he said uh get dressed you see that stick bag he said get in there i'm gonna zip you up he threw me over his shoulder <laughs> no. and he walked walked me in the stick bag over the uh past his mother yeah it's amazing <laughs> true story <laughs> That's so what did she want to do? Just let loose on you, I guess, for Well, up yeah, I mean, this, this kid was just ripped. <laughs> I had a pulp. That's amazing, though. What a great slip you right into the uh, equipment bag. That, that's amazing, too, because Kim and I were talking earlier about how well you diffuse situations. So, you know, your background, you obviously, you can handle yourself. You're a feisty player. Um, stepping in as a referee in a role like that, where, where did you, when did you start you know, using that tactic, the diffusing situations in, in, you know, when things got out of hand. Corey, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, because all of the things that I acquired that served me as a player were only going to cause me to fail as a referee. And I had in my very first game with Wayne Gretzky in 1980 in the NHL in Northlands Coliseum, like three weeks into the season, Philadelphia Flyers are playing. Bobby Clark, still there. <laughs> And uh, the very first shift. And this is your first game ever officiating? For, okay. First game with oh, wow. NHL. Gretzky. With Gretzky uh, oh, okay. in the NHL. Okay. Oh, and my. it's in Edmonton, in Northlands Coliseum. And he started and he got touched like within 10 seconds. And he, he jumped, took a dive, and he snapped his head looking 
sideways to see if my arm went up before he even hit the ice. <laughs> Obvious dive. Right. Yeah. The crowd got, I didn't call it, obviously. The crowd got on me. And that stuff inside me that you alluded to, yeah. Corey, it <laughs> yeah. took over. It came up from yeah. my belly. It was inherent in me. And so I made the decision, not like Tim Peel just made an announcement, but I made the, the verbal decision in my head. Okay, bucko, you're going to play on your knees tonight. You want to start that? I'm going to finish it. So I became very stubborn. Wayne didn't get a call all night with a minute and a half left in the game, and the Flyers up by one. Pelly Lindbergh caught the puck. I blew the whistle, stop play. In his office behind the net, jumped up in the air, threw his hands one way, his feet the other way, did a belly flop on the ice. Bobby Clark skated over to him with the no teeth. He said, yeah, Gretzky, you blank baby. (laughs) I went over. I said, Wayne, what are you doing? I said, there wasn't a guy within 15 feet. (laughs) He said, you wouldn't have called it anyway. You haven't called a blank thing all night. I said, you're right. I'm going to start right now. Boom. You got two for unsportsmanlike conduct. Nice. (laughs) He said, thanks. It's about effing time you called something. And he stormed off the ice and went right to the dressing room. So <laughs> now was he while, did he dive a lot? Gretzky? Oh well, yeah. I mean okay. he's, he's yeah. gonna try every advantage uh-huh. he could, you know, and I'm yeah. I'm the new face, uh the baby face, you know, ref, and let's give him a try. And yeah. uh so uh, after every game, guys, uh I always wanted to be the best I could be. And I went back uh to to my uh hotel room later and i replayed every game that i ever did i've got an amazing you know recall and video review in my head and uh it hit me like a freaking board between the eyes that i needed to be better and i had to learn something about myself because whenever we're put under stress or pressure the things that we acquired through our youth through our environment that we lived in through the fights in the schoolyard and our athletic endeavors, they surface at times when you're, it's just a reflex. And it could be verbal, it could be physical. And I recognized about myself, the things that I had to control. I knew my strengths, but these were weaknesses that one time were strengths. And in this new occupation, uh, they were gonna cause me to fail. I, I recognized I was I had a little man syndrome I had a chip on my shoulder. Uh, I was a uh, courage was, you know, a big part of everything. I would not be intimidated. Uh, But I had to recognize that when that belly started to boil and it started to rise and when it got here, once it got out, you couldn't suck it back. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I developed, started to develop relationships. The next time I saw Wayne Gretzky, I apologized to him for my conduct and behavior. Uh, but I said, please do me a favor. If you're going to get, if you're fouled, I'll make the call, but don't dive on me. It's going to set a bad precedent. It doesn't serve either one of us well or the game. So we, we developed a great relationship as I did with, with, uh, many, many, many players. Uh, and, uh, even to this day, uh, I'm, I feel blessed that I have, uh, in my phone, uh, legends of the game uh that communicate with me 
Well, it's so, amazing that you acknowledge that feeling because, I mean, that re- that can work for every point in life. For like, I mean, you have seven kids. Did you use that at home, like with your kids, like just being able to control that that um, anger or frustration? That's a it's a great life skill to have. Well, you know what, Kim? That's uh, exactly right. And uh, I do a lot of keynote speaking and uh, the corporate. And uh, I was out in uh, Victoria uh, for a uh, large car dealership. Uh, they have like five to six uh, car dealerships, and they had all their employees uh, in for, for a conference. Uh, and I, I was the keynote. And that's exactly what I talked about. I, I, I put it on them. Uh, by sharing my stories and showing video uh, of situations and confrontations on the ice, how you have to make the right decisions in your business life and your relationships. Uh, because, you know, if you have to win all the time, man, I'll tell you, you're going to lose real quick. Uh, and it's about understanding that internal engine that each one of us have. Uh, and some of it can be very productive and positive, but the negatives we have to recognize, uh, we have to look clearly in the mirror and uh, make sure that uh, we're, we're not, we don't have rose colored glasses on and we can convince ourselves how great we are. Right. Yeah. Cause it, like you said, it will come up at some point, you know, oh, when, when sure. it starts to it'll explode at some point, but that's what I mean, everything, like every player said how fair you were and just how good you were diffusing, you know, volatile situations. And, you know, so that's, you have a lot of respect from, from the players, which, well, you yeah. know, that's what I miss the most. I'm often asked, asked do, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> do I miss the game? Yeah, I miss the game. But I, the, the thing I miss the most are the relationships and the opportunity to interact with players, coaches, media. Uh, it was just a, a thrill for me uh, to be able to uh, try and make the game better. Uh, that was always my objective. Give the very best that I could to a game not be a negative influence, uh, you know, not negatively impact the game. Uh, and, you know, there's, we're human. We make right. mistakes. 93 was a classic example of not seeing something that I just wish I had a, had a been able to see. Um, but it happens. And uh, as, uh, you know, they don't ever remember the great calls you make. It's, it's the ones right. that you missed or the ones that uh, are incorrect. Uh, it's not in your dad, uh, both the father's situations. It's not the great saves in the games they won or the shutouts they had. Uh, you always reflect back on the one that got away on you, the mm-hmm. one that, geez, I wish I had that one to do over again. So yeah. did you get it? Like, I mean, did I read somewhere that you actually had like a, they had to take you off the ice in Boston because someone called in with a threat? Like, did you get a lot of situations like that? Oh, no, that like was that? St. I know Louis. how crazy the no, fans no, no, can that be. Was, I, had a, I had a couple of death threats, and, you know, it <laughs> goes with the territory. <laughs> but uh, it's St. Louis in game uh, six of the 1986 uh, Western Conference Final, Calgary Flames and the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis was down three to two in that series. They had to win to force a game seven. Rob Ramage was the captain. Uh, Rick Wamsley was the goalie that night. He let in three for uh, right off the bat. Uh, you know, Calgary scored on, and uh, so they're down three zip towards the end of the second period with just a minute and change left. Uh, Rob Ramage poleaxed a guy in front of the net, broke his stick right over. Boom! Obvious penalty for me in managing the game and and thinking the game which is really important 
for a referee. Some of the guys today just don't quite get it yet. Right. Uh, they don't they don't feel the tempo and the heartbeat of the game. Well, in that situation, I knew that when the captain did that down three zip, he's basically given up. He's just gonna you know go after everybody. So when he stepped out of the penalty box at the uh, as the horn sounded for the second period, I was there to meet him. And I said, Rammer, you go in there and tell Jacques Demers, the coach, I'm going to have a riot act. I said, if you guys don't get some discipline, I'm going to fill that box. It's going to be game over, series over, you're done. Yeah, okay. Away he went. Two giant policemen, biggest guys in uniform I've ever seen, stepped out of the penalty box. They grabbed me. They said, Kerry, hurry up. Let's get off the ice. One on each side of me. They took me instead of diagonally across the ice to the, uh, the Zamboni entrance in the old St. Louis arena where the visiting team and the refs locker rooms were, I was taken around the glass. We get into the dressing room. Linesman, Ray Scampanello, Hall of Fame, guy, great guy, and Ron Huck Finn, two of the best are my linesmen. I sit down. I say to the officer, yes, sir, what's, uh, what's up? He said, it's my duty to inform you that you have received a death threat. I oh went. my god. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Some guy some guy at home and TV, he's drinking his Budweiser and he's gonna yeah. throw it through uh-huh. the TV, he called it. The officer <laughs> said, No. We traced the call. It came from a payphone inside this arena. He's in the arena. He says he has a gun, and if you come out for the third period, he's gonna shoot you. Oh, oh my gosh. God. The air went out of the room. I was going to say, your heart must have stopped for a minute. <laughs> no, not mine. It was the two linesmen. I look at him and Scampanello, and Scampi's eyes are like saucers, and he and I are about the same size. So I figured, and we skate very fast. I thought, maybe he thinks it's mistaken identity and somebody's going to yeah. plug him. Yeah. So I just, the officer said, What are you going to do? I said, Well, I'm going out. No, no option here. He said, okay, we'll be posted outside the dressing room door. So time to go. I get to the top of the ramp. They pull the, the canopy over. I start walking down, 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 and I get to just about uh, ice level. And my backup is with me, right, I think. I look behind for the two linesmen, my backup. They're both standing at the top of the, uh, of the hill <laughs> with their arms folded and their feet folded. And I went, come on. They went, no, you go, you go. So I went out by myself. I did oh the zigzag God. as fast as I could around the ice one time. There was no gunshot, and those two clowns came out. <laughs> now, here's, here's, here's what happened in the game. Calgary had three goals scored on them. From the midway point, I think 13 minutes and, and change left in the uh, regulation time, and St. Louis scored three goals and tied up. They now go into overtime, and Doug Wickenheiser, God rest his school, soul, <laughs> scored the winning goal in overtime for us, game seven. Uh, St. Louis lost one uh, nothing in, uh, in Calgary, uh, and Calgary went to Montreal. Uh, I officiated that uh, final, and uh, they won the Stanley Cup. Oh, wow. Wow, that's <laughs> that was just one of the death threats. That's that's insane that you actually went out there and was like, okay, if someone's going to take a shot, here we go. And the <laughs> and other guys were like, we'll wait and see if a gun goes off before we come out on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why Scampy's in the Hall of Fame. He's a smart man. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another one. I was there something where you were leaving an arena and there was someone oh waiting my for you. God, that was a controversial <laughs> call. That. Uh, that was in uh, 
Uh, I, I had a very famous disallowed Alain Coté goal in the Battle of, uh, of Quebec with uh, the Quebec Nordique and, and Montreal Canadiens. It's uh, round two uh, and uh, it's game five. Uh, very close series, hard fought. Family members in Quebec, one would love the, the Canadians, the other, they wouldn't speak to each other. Sometimes there were even fights in family, fist fights over, you know, oh, game alliance, uh, favorite team. So uh, I saw this play developing. It was a tie game, game five. Uh, and I saw Alain Cote coming down the wing with the puck. And he cuts to the middle at the same time. Uh, Quebec Nordique player uh, and Mats Naslin on his back go to the net. Brian Hayward is the Montreal Canadiens goalie. Uh, the uh, Nordique hooks his skate around uh, Hayward's uh, pad, his left pad, uses a stick as Naslin is trying to push him away from the crease. The Nordique is fighting to go into the crease. Contact is made with the goalie and he's dragged out of the net right and i'm on the goal line, and i'm going oh my god no <sighs> don't score because i know uh, i have to disallow this i'm gonna it's a no-win situation uh, uh sure enough cote shoots it in the open net and uh, i they're celebrating as i come into the camera frame waving it off now all hell broke loose after that uh michelle bergeron was going nuts on the bench pulling his hair out and uh they they were they were in shock uh Next face-off, Keith Carbono wins the face-off. Uh, down the ice they go. Kirk Muller and uh, Ryan Walter. And zoom, 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 over to Wally. He shoots a puck in the net, winning goal. And I have to fight my way off the ice and up the hall with uh, Bergeron. And, and the... Oh, my God. So I got dropped from the playoffs after that. There was so much uh, turmoil and heat. And yeah. I'd done the finals the previous two years. I'd done seven out of seven games in the first round. And this was fifth out of... Uh, my fifth game in five uh, of the second round, and uh, I got uh, I got dropped. Uh, no. A couple of years later, I go back to Quebec City, uh, and I have a game, and it's February, and it's freezing out, like 25 below zero, and uh, the security there was horrible. Uh, our guy that was NHL security was brutal. He left at the second period. And uh, oh so linesman Wayne Bonney and I are walking out. They used to allow the fans, because of the – the frigid temperatures in Quebec. They allowed them to stand inside the heated door uh, uh, where the players came out at the press gate. And as Wayne and I were walking out, there were five guys standing there, and I heard one guy say, there's Fraser, let's get him. Now, we walked out, got our suits on, street shoes, parking lot frozen, 25 below, and as we're walking to the car, these guys came out. So I know they're not coming to ask for an autograph at 25 yeah. below. Right? <laughs> and I knew we couldn't get to the car, Corey. So I said to, to Wayne Bonney, his nickname was Buckwheat. I said, Buckwheat, back to back here. I said, if we go down, I'm done. And uh, sure enough. So I, I had my uh, equipment bag over my shoulder. I unzipped it. I pulled out my skate. And as the comment, and the one guy, right, the junkyard dog, <laughs> and I took my skate out, and I looked him right in the eye, and I said, you're going to F and die. I'm going to cut your throat, and you're going to bleed out right here. I said, they might get me, but you're going to die. Yeah. He, he, did a, he, he did this. So he, he just I knew I had him. I said, now you move, you're dead. We're getting in the car. Don't move. So we get in the car. 
I said, get this friggin' thing moving. Get out of here. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> See, that's where your hockey fighting skills came into play. <laughs> well, what do you do? Like, I mean, do you, there's no option there. I, I'm not no. going to negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, you know, after a game, and this was a, sort of the, the premise of the book that I wrote when I retired, or the theory behind it. I'd go in and, and uh, you know, the hair and the everything, and I'd be recognized. And we'd go into an establishment after the game, and, and fans would be there, sometimes the players. Uh, I always, you know, surf, surf the room to make sure everything's good. I'd sit with my back to the wall. And I'd see people staring and, you know. <laughs> so I'd get up, and I'd walk over. I'd introduce myself, and yeah. I'd say, do you have a question for me? And Always, I'd say, yeah, I got a question for you. <laughs> so I'd answer it, you know, and then I'd say, do you have another question? And the next one would come a little softer. And by the third question and answer, can I, the guy'd say, can I get you a beer? I'd say, yeah, let's have a beer together. So the, the fans, as passionate as they are in hockey, and I don't believe there's any more passionate fans than hockey fans. Mm -hmm. And Kim, you can attest to that from where you grew yeah. up. Yeah. But the fact is that when all they wanted to do was the very best ticket they could get would put them right behind the glass on the other side. They wanted on our side. They wanted inside the game. They wanted to know things that uh, the questions might be, you know, when you were talking to that player what, or the coach, what was the conversation like? They wanted insight. And I felt that it was really important to provide it for them. Uh, yeah. Henceforth, the final call that I wrote uh, is, is still selling. That's what Kim was just mentioning. How um, she started, you know, reading a bit of the book, and it just drew her in. And I said, "That's what you know." The reviews, I can't wait to read it. But it brings you to the ice level, right? Your 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 perspective. So, yeah, it's it, it drew me right in. Was exactly the words I can say. Like I just yeah. wanted to keep going. It's really, really, really good. And I and we yeah. had a couple people too on social media talk about how they just bought the book and or that they've read it. So it, it's um, I'm excited to finish it. It's really. It was good. the hardest thing that I've ever done. Uh, write that yeah. book. Uh, I didn't have a ghostwriter. I wrote it myself. Uh, really. I uh, wow. my wife Kathy uh, was uh, my editor. Uh, she was an Ontario scholar in English uh, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I had a, an agreement uh, contract uh, with the publisher that published more uh, hockey books than any other publisher in the world, uh, and uh, I my first trip to Toronto in my final season I met with them for three hours. Uh, we discussed the book and, and my thoughts, my vision for it. I uh, told him some stories as to what I would incorporate in it. Uh, when we finished, he said, "I want your book." Uh, so I hadn't started writing it in my final season. Uh, which was my plan until three, four days after I finished my final game uh, on April the 11th uh, of 2010. And it was the Flyers Rangers mm -hmm. for that last playoff spot that was available. They were tied going into the game. It ended up in a shootout and the Flyers went on to win uh, or at least get to the Stanley cup final and lost in six games to the Chicago Blackhawks. Great way for me to end my career. But two days after, and I did, interviews and media uh, for a couple of days and uh, I sat down to start writing the book and I had picked a picture for the cover and sent it to the publisher ages before and all of a sudden Kathy came into my office and said Carrie your book is for sale on Amazon oh my God. I said it's for sale I haven't written it yet and <laughs> enough, uh, it was 
for release in uh, in October, uh, and I had to bang it out. I wrote that book in wow. two and a half months, cover to cover. Wow! It was like I was sending in chapter, chapter, chapter. You know, Kim, if you haven't gotten to it yet, the most impactful story in that book is with Theo Fleury. It's called The Fury of Fleury is the uh, chapter. And I'll tell you, it is riveting. Um, it's one of the things as a referee, guys, that I wanted to do was always take a bad situation and create something good from it. Um, I had uh, a, uh, a conversion, if you will, in 1995. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was profound. Uh, I mean, truly profound. That would be a hard book to write. Uh, I received a lot of mystical things happen for me uh, yeah. and directed me. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes where there's light, there's darkness and, and uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. And the confrontation I had with Theo Fleury in 1996 in Chicago and the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs was bad. I mean, he challenged me to a fight. He cursed at oh, me wow. in the most awful uh, language you could imagine. He took his helmet off and he threw it at me and it hit my skate. He challenged me to a fight in the parking lot. Wow. I threw him out of the game. And then fast forwarding, uh, four years later in 2000, he had signed a, a one-year contract, uh, free agent contract with the New York Rangers for eight million bucks. Um, he was put into the substance abuse program by the uh, NHL to start that season. And I had his first game back. It was at Madison Square Garden, and the St. Louis Blues were playing. And Tyson Nash was a second-year pro with the Blues. Joel Quindle was coaching the Blues. They had a really good team. And uh, at the end of the first period, there was a scrum in the corner, and it disbanded. And then it's just Theo and I standing at the red line between the two benches at Madison Square Garden. And Theo had tears in his eyes. This, this guy that, you know, attacked me constantly and he said carrie i'm trying to clean my life up honest he said don't let him talk to me like that i'm trying to clean my life up i haven't done and he mentioned a drug yeah. uh, in x months i haven't had a drink i'm trying to clean my life up honest i said who what he told me tyson nash and what he had said he trash talked him about his drug uh situation now i had a decision to make i could have said human nature would dictate you know what? It looks good on you. Remember all the times that you trashed me mm -hmm. and the time, yeah. especially when you challenged yeah. me to a fight and you threw your helmet off. I saw in front of me a wounded human being. I wanted to take his pain away. I saw one of my kids standing there and I said, Theo, if I can get Tyson Nash back here on this spot, the start of the period, and he gives you a sincere apology, will you accept it like a man? He said, yeah. I said, now, Promise me you won't break a stick over his head if I get him here. He said, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I went straight into the coach's room, visiting coach's room at Madison Square Garden. I said, Joel, this is what your guy Tyson Nash said to Theo. Joel rolled his eyes. Awesome, dude. He said, Kerry, you want me to tell him to take his gear off? He thought I was going to oh. throw him out of the game. I said, no. What do you think about an apology? I said, it certainly might be good for Theo, and it might not even hurt your back. He said, great idea, and he ran into his, into his dressing room. Sure enough, I'm standing there with Theo as the Blues came out the uh, Zamboni entrance at MSG, and Tyson was kind of like 
doing a skate by. I flagged him over. I said, do you have something to say to this man? Tyson's lip was quivering. It affected him. Yeah. And he looked Theo in the eye and he said, Theo, I am sincerely sorry. He said, I went way below the line and I apologize. And I wish you all the best that you've got ahead of you. And he tapped him uh, on his shin pad with a stick. I went, wow. I said, Theo, are you good with that? He said, I'm good with that. I said, boys, shake hands. Let's play. Well, the game ended. The you know Tyson did his job. He drew uh, Brown into a fight. Brown jumped him, the defenseman for the mm -hmm. Rangers, and, and he got uh, extra penalty minutes. And the Blues win the game. And I just let it go. It's done. I'm like yeah. that's in that's in 2000. I retired in 2010, and I'm sitting down to write my book. And my brother called me and said, "Kerry, what did you ever do to Theo Fleury? He just I just read his book. Man, he trashed you big time. <laughs> really? And he." He referenced that that thing, uh, that situation in '96, and he even used the the exact language that the the profanity that he cursed at me, and I went, well, you know what? Um, I, I tried to help him. Uh, no mention of it, the, this last incident. He didn't mention this yeah. last incident. No, he didn't mention that. Wow. So so wow. I said, I in that moment. I sent my wife and daughter out to get me Theo's book, Playing With Fire. Very dark. Uh, very, uh, I mean, it, it's it's sad uh, what had happened to him. And, and I understood now, as we all do, uh, what had taken place in his life as a, as a young player. Uh, and so, but I wanted to take this bad situation. I want to make it right again. So I immediately added that chapter to the book. I sat down in, in uh, two and a half days. Uh, I wrote that chapter. I went around the clock and uh, finished it up and pressed send and got it off uh, to the. Uh, but I called Tyson Nash. This is the this is the big thing of this. I called Tyson. I said, "Hey, Tyson, Carrie here. Listen, I'm writing a book, and and I, I'd like your permission to share a story. Do you recall the situation in 2000? It was uh, December, I think, the uh, the 19th of 2000, uh, in Madison Square Garden with Theo Fleury." Guys, the phone went dead. It was like dead airspace. He went, Carrie, that was a life-altering situation. It was career-changing for me. I wow. said, talk to me. In Tyson Nash's own words, I put what that situation had done to him. Now, it's not a dead story. It didn't finish with the, with the handshake in, in 2000 uh, at, at Madison Square Garden on the red line. It lived on and it still does because I've been to Montreal Canadian Fantasy Camp where I, I helped them out. I've had uh, one guy came in from Vancouver that goes to different fantasy camps. He said, just prior to coming here, I was in Texas and I, I ran into Theo Fleury at an event and he told the same story. I was with Tyson Nash in Phoenix. He told the same story and he said, I've heard that story three times from the three principal perspectives uh, wow. that were involved in it. So here's, here's the takeaway guys and, and viewers, please get this. We can have an impact. We often, we never know if we, if we impact or make a difference in somebody's life. This was a simple request for an apology and it impacted these two individuals and me uh, forever. So, my message is when you have an opportunity to do something good, right? Maybe it's just a pleasant 
good morning. You might change somebody's day, open the door for them, whatever, something simple. Uh, it doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be a big donation at a charity event. You, each of us, has the ability to impact in a positive way somebody's life. Wow. Amazing, like, amazing I message. I chilled a few times I, yeah. through that story. Uh, I could sit, when, yeah. when's your next speaking engagement? Yeah. I got to sit and listen so, to you for an hour. So here's the deal. I get 20,000 people chanting, Fraser sucks. <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're booing the jersey and, and who they think this individual is, you know, kill the ump sort of attitude. Mm -hmm. But we're all human. Uh, you know, we have families. Uh, and I, I'm not apologizing uh, for for my career, I don't think I ever have to. I, I think that I did what I was asked to do. Uh, some games better than others, uh, but uh, you know, we just have to, especially in, in today, the way things are uh, in the world, I think we just need to take a pause and we need to reset sometimes. And we need to take that breath and not let the, you know, the oil in the belly come up and come up and come up. I think we just need to, relax our shoulders, take a breath and say, you know what, what can I do for somebody today beyond myself? That's, I mean, I think that's the best yeah. advice we could give anybody. Sorry to veer off the, the hockey stuff, no, guys. But, uh, don't be no, sorry. I'm so glad that you just shared all that. And I Carrie, think it's you're really giving, important. Yeah, I, I have five kids. Kim has five kids. So the advice <laughs> you're giving me, I'm drawn right into this. I'm, yeah. I'm loving it. Awesome. So. That's why I'm awesome. like, oh, my God, I need to hear more. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, you know, so I, powerful, what, though, what, and impactful. Yeah. When I came home off the road uh, and uh, with our seven kids at home, and uh, I would be the disciplinarian, right? Like, you know, I'm the referee. Kathy <laughs> right away said, hey, she pointed to herself. She said, I'm the referee in this house. You're not the referee. <laughs> I'm the one that talks to these kids like that. <laughs> I was going to ask how it was place. for her with you on the road so much. And she, because I know my dad was on the road so much during the season, but probably not yeah. as much as you. And yeah. you No, had, for sure. You, so Kathy must have been a saint at home taking care of everything. She is. Kathy Mary McVeigh was her maiden name. It's a little Irish lass. And uh, she was, uh, she is uh, my best friend, my best fan. She's the love of my life. Um, it was uh, a second marriage. Uh, things sometimes don't work out. I was married at 19 years of age, silly, uh, not uh, not thinking clearly, but uh, nonetheless, three wonderful, beautiful boys came from that first uh, union. And uh, then I uh, was able to, after difficulties, uh, meet uh, the love of my life. She had three girls, the Brady Bunch. We put them together, uh -huh. and a few years after we married, uh, we had our own uh, little Kara, who is now 30 years of age. Uh, and uh, so we're we're blessed. Uh, we've got a great family. We have 12 grandkids now, uh, and uh, life is life is wonderful. Um, so there is, you know, uh, we have to fight our way through th certain things, uh, not just on the ice, but in life. And, and it can make us better. Uh, if we allow it to, and if we allow the light to come in, um, you know, negativity just breeds more negativity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so on the ice, my effort was to try and, and bring the temperature down when I felt it needed to be. And in confrontations with players, I wanted to take control of it, but I wanted to do it in a way that would create a win-win situation. So an example, Rick Tockett was the young captain of the 
Philadelphia Flyers. He was like 22 years old. He wore number 22. I just saw the number in my head. And uh, Talk was a very aggressive player, power forward. He could fight. He could shoot. He score. Great leader. Youngest captain the Flyers ever had at that point. And he was getting all kinds of misconduct penalties because he was too emotional and he was, you know, yapping off at the officials and they'd bang him with 10. So he came up to me aggressive in, in the spectrum, Philadelphia spectrum. And I went, stop, please. And this, this means peace. This is a sign yeah. of peace. Yeah. I said, and, and in my calm, in a monotone voice, not yelling at him, yeah, you stop. Please stop. I want to have a chat with you. I said, listen, you're a great player. I mean, you're the youngest captain. You can fight. You can score. You can you do it all. And you're a great leader. And your players respect you. But you can't do it from over in that penalty box where you're about to go again for 10 minutes in. It makes no sense, man. I said, listen, you don't have to fight this striped jersey. I said, just play against the other team. If you have a question, please come ask me. And I'll give you an answer. We may not agree, but at least I'll talk to you. And I could see the light go on. And in that moment, we developed a relationship that carried right through to today uh, when, he, when he left and became a coach. Uh, and when I would see him uh, at the Jersey Shore or elsewhere, uh, and he's in my speed dial. Uh, so th- that's that's what happened. Same thing with Brian Murray when he was coaching the Washington Capitals. Early 80s, Brian was getting all kinds of uh, bench miners. Very emotional guy. And I don't want to stifle the emotion of a game or an individual. They have to be themselves. Uh, but there are limits, and you have to set limits as a referee. This particular game in the old cap center, Brian was standing up on the, on the dasher board at, at his bench, and he was waving his arms, flapping, and spitting and screaming and and he had that little funny like daffy duck kind of talk right and uh, <laughs> so i i thought you know what bench penalties aren't working i'm going to go over and i'm going to have a, a chat with him now as a referee when you put yourself at the bench you gotta eat whatever comes your way because you're <laughs> the guy that went there yeah. so again open palms looking up at brian on the dasher board monotone voice i said brian i'd love to have a conversation with you but you're gonna have to come off the bench and please calm down boom down he comes i said now you may not agree with what i have to say or tell you but this is the reason i did or did whatever it was that he was upset about he thought for a minute he said well carrie you're right about one thing i don't agree with what you said but thanks for coming over. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's how we talk. Is, yeah. Oh yeah, in that in his uh, post game with the media, uh, he referenced that. He said, "This is the first time that a referee ever came over and talked to me, and that's all I ever want was an answer." So from that moment, Brian and I created a relationship. He knew that I was approachable. If he Carry. I would rather go deal with the coach if I could, rather than give a message to a captain that mm-hmm. always gets screwed up. Yeah, always. Yeah, always. Whisper always. down the lane. <laughs> were there any guys that were not receptive to your your way of calming things down, no matter what you did? Chris Knuckles Nyland. 
I love the man. <laughs> I love him. I do a radio yeah. show on TSN 690 every Tuesday with Knuckles uh, and his off-the-cuff radio show. But this guy literally hated me. Him and Theo <laughs> both hated me. And, I, and hate's a strong word, but I can tell you, out of their mouths, they've told me they hated me. <laughs> so, a 300-penalty-minute-a-year uh, guy. Uh, and he got he earned his name, you know, not because he used hand lotion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knew what to do with his knuckles. And yeah. so he's playing in the Boston Garden. He's playing for the Montreal Canadiens. And he's on a shift with Rick Nifty Middleton, who couldn't get four penalty minutes a season if he tried. Yeah. Just a skill player. They're going to the net. They collide. Down they go. And the puck goes out into the, you know, transitioning out of the zone into the neutral zone. And I'm across the ice, one referee, and I look over at Nux, and as he gets up off the ice, and our eyes meet. And I can tell that he's pissed off, and he's going to do something stupid. <laughs> Those two connections. Now I turned to follow the play up the ice, but I did a head fake. I snapped my head back right as he butt-ended Middleton and knocked out his front teeth. Oh. Up goes the arm. It's a match penalty. Back then, deliberate injury was a 10-minute match penalty, not just five, 10. Mm -hmm. Now he's suspended, and it's just before the playoffs, and we have to go to uh, Montreal for an emergency hearing. I went into the boardroom. Brian O'Neill is the vice president in charge at the time of discipline. And I walked into the boardroom in the Montreal office. And there is Sir Savart, the GM. I shake his hand. Uh, the gentleman wishes me bonjour, ça va, ça va bien, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then Knuckles is staring freaking daggers at me. The room is like ice cold. He wants to kill me. So Brian O'Neill read my report. And it was just the facts. So Brian said to uh, Chris, he said, Chris, do you have anything to say for yourself? Now, Nux is a Boston kid, right? Yeah. His dad was a Green Beret. <laughs> Nux goes, yeah, Mr. O'Neill, I got something to say for myself. Referee Fraser here, he calls more penalties on me than any <laughs> other ref in the league. He's always picking on me every game. And just to prove my point. If he hadn't been watching what he should have been watching, which was to play go the other way, he wouldn't have seen me butt in Middleton in the mouth. <laughs> Serge spits his coffee on the, on the boardroom desk table. He goes, Chris, Chris. He said, Monsieur O'Neill, Chris did not mean to say that. <laughs> Brian O'Neill said, Chris, there isn't a referee worth a pound of salt in this league if he didn't watch every second that you're on the ice. Now, would you like to see a replay? They both declined because they had him on tape. So he got eight games, guys. Wow. Back then in the in the like early nineties, eight games was like huge. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow! Wow! So now we went on a tour uh, after we I retired uh, in two thousand twelve. We did a uh, tour for Special Olympics through Ontario. We ended up in St. Catharines. And uh, we started in Kingston, worked our way back. So the game to St. Kitts, and I, I did a hot stove uh, after the game uh, in the reception uh, with the players in the, in the local uh, community center. And I had Ray Bork on and Terry O'Reilly and Knox. And I thought he was off. He was struggling. He was in recovery. And he had some social issues that are very, you know, obvious, publicized. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying anything that isn't public. Yeah. 
and I, I just at the end I, I went Knox are you okay he said no he said that stuff's starting to look good to me I said I'll tell you what he said I'm going to either get the bus moving or if the guys want to stay I'm going to get a cab and you and I are out of here and that's what happened we went back wow. to the hotel we had a coffee we chatted and from then on boom, best besties I love the man he's 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 overcome so much. He's a great man. That's, but it's I, like talk about being yeah. at the right place at the right time. That could have gone yeah. a whole different way if you didn't hey, recognize guys, that. Yeah, and God, say something put, to God puts us all in certain places yep. at certain times with certain people. Yeah. Absolutely. We just have to be aware. We yeah. have to be open. You have to have an open heart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because if you didn't, like I said, that could have yeah. gone a whole different way. And I'm exactly. yeah, it's yeah. so so good to see. Uh, Chris and what he's doing now. Like I was a big fan of his and yeah, he went, went through a lot of, a lot of issues. And um, I saw him two years ago at the uh, Steve Ludzik uh, uh, celebrity roast and man, what he's come through, he looked great and yeah. you know, big, big ups for that guy for, you know, coming through and, and, awesome. uh, and doing what he does. Yeah, no, that's, he, he's a, a big inspiration. And I wanted to touch back too is cause um, and I'm in St. Catherine. So, I develop um, younger players, 14, 15, 16, going into major junior. And the one year um, when I started, my friend Dave Carricker brought me into coach major midget. And um, coaching has changed a lot through the years. And Dave's a great coach, um, but very vocal on the bench. And so I just, with any listeners that are coaches or any referees, when we were in Peterborough, uh, we had a referee up there. He was the the best ref I've ever encountered because Dave was always up on the bench, yickety yak, yap, and we were getting penalties. And this ref stopped finally and he came to the bench and we had a five minute conversation. He explained everything to my friend, Dave, the coach, Dave sat back. He looked at me. He's like, Holy shit. He's bang on. Like he knew every slash, every poke, everything. And from that end, from there on in, I was like, man, all it took was that little conversation with that ref to come over and, you know, it changed, it changed the way for a lot of, a lot of coaches and the way they, they, you know, handled the game. So that was a big turning point for me when you talked about, you know, Brian Murray and how you went over right. and diffuse the situation. I wish so many coaches would, you know, would understand that here and, you know, step back. And it's, it, there's just so much more that comes with getting down and coming to your level. Right. So I just found We're that story. Asked, was great. I'm often asked to speak at uh, USA hockey uh, level four and five uh, coaches clinics. And uh, I, I want them to uh, understand that the other perspective and, and how that we are in this game together. And if you, if you create adversarial roles uh, between the different factions of the game, it, it, there's, it's, it's going to be a long night for everybody. Uh, so yeah. if you, you know, and I'm not saying you you kiss up to anybody, but you have to have a productive, positive relationship. And I I had a game, uh, and and respect is a thing. If you want to be respected, you better darn well give respect. Uh, and I had a game, uh, the the one, and we were going to talk about a couple of things about goalies and relationships. I always yeah. tried to establish relationships with goalies because I, I felt sorry for them. They're the last line of defense. I mean, the goal goes yeah. in and boom, you know, they can either be the hero or the goat. And, and I could relate to that. And uh, I also recognized back when I started that if anybody touched the goalie back then, 
benches cleared. I mean, yeah. we had all kinds <laughs> yeah. of issues, right? And I yeah. had to be up all night writing reports. So I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Billy Smith, like aggressive goalie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Smitty, uh, my first game with Billy Smith was on Long Island. I went in uh, just after the national anthem and I went to his crease and I said, Mr. Smith, I said, I'm a big fan of yours. You're a great goaltender. I've watched you in the Stanley Cup final. Man, you really, you really bring it. And I said, it appears to me that you just like your space inside your crease. You don't like to be touched. And if anybody touches you in that crease, I'm going to give them a penalty. He said, kid, you and I see eye to eye. That's great. He said, I like that. I said, but on the other hand, I've also seen you use your stick to clear that crease. I said, you use your stick. You're going to get a penalty. He said, kid, if I use my stick, you better give me a penalty because everybody's going to F and see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's he awesome. was definitely a colorful goalie. I heard you mentioned Pelly too. Did you have any type of relationship uh, with Pelly? Yeah, he was he's just a good good kid. Uh, you know, he he uh each goalie, I mean, you got to be a little crazy to play goal. Sorry kids, mm-hmm. but you know, <laughs> you know, no disrespect to your dad's, but you got to be a special <laughs> breed. And yes. uh, yeah. so each guy had a different personality. Patrick Waugh, I stayed away from. Eddie Balfour, I stayed away from. They were like wired tight and like you, you look at her mask and you see crazy. I uh, we had a, uh, a Gatorade bottle that was on the back of the net, and they put a sleeve on it. Once we went to video review from the overhead cam, and that bottle had to be in the the sleeve they provided uh, on the the cross cross member yeah. of of the net. Otherwise, it would obstruct the view. So Eddie could drink. He threw his bottle in the mesh. I went and grabbed the bottle, and I put it in the sleeve. He barked at me like, don't touch my bottle. Don't touch my bottle. <laughs> Whoa. And like wired. And I went, yeah. okay, here's the deal. Either you put that bottle in that sleeve where it has to go so the video review camera isn't obstructed, or I'm going to have it removed. So that was that was the arrangement we made. I won't touch your bottle. And, you know, same thing with you know they used to pack the snow at the side of the uh, uh-huh. the post to you know yeah to soften the. I had to kick that snow away. Yeah, don't touch my oven snow. Eddie. Yeah. I got to move it, buddy. Yeah. Either you move it or I move it, but it can't sit there. So there's certain- so you didn't look forward to games you ref with them in it. <laughs> well, you know what? I just like to do their thing. I stayed out of their way. But but right. a guy like uh, Marty Brodeur, uh, I'd look in his match. Uh, Grant Fuhr, uh, my first Stanley Cup Finals, Flyers uh, and uh, Oilers '85. I was pressed into Game Four because Van Helmond uh, said he wasn't feeling good that day, and uh, so I have to do pivotal Game Four. It is an awesome game. I had the fly down two men uh two, and and uh ronnie sutter uh is on the kill he intercepts a d to d pass he's going on a breakaway he gets hauled down boom up was the arm i call a penalty mm-hmm. shot and i go to grant <laughs> Fuhr, and he's in the net and i go uh i'm looking in his mask and i said listen grant uh i gave him the instructions you know you can't leave the crease until he touches the puck uh, blah 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 and uh, i said you let me know when you're ready he just goes 
go ahead. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Send him. Yeah. Send him. <laughs> he just he was just so cool. Uh-huh. And uh Greg Millen was a guy, you know, he was always laughing inside of his he had the cage <laughs> and uh he you know, come out skating like a maniac. Everybody had some personality and I think some of that is yeah. lost today. Yeah. Uh yeah. I'm talking to uh, players today uh that uh, you know, I, I have media pass, I can go into the locker room before COVID and so guys are telling me whether I met with Sid Sidney Crosby in, in Philly after a game one time and he said, Phrase, he said, you can't talk to some of these guys, the refs, they, they just, they're so, uh, whether it's insecurity or it just, they don't want to, they can't communicate and they're very aggressive. And, you know, I think uh, those relationship building uh, tools uh, need to be uh, discussed and enhanced. Uh, when, when people are insecure, uh, they tend to come on too strong. Um Gotta relax. Yeah. You gotta love the game. That, how it's changed through the years, the game, because yeah. it has obviously the game has and the players and goaltending. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how is that yeah. with um, on your end of things? Well, Kim, I was four decades uh, in the uh, with the NHL, and uh, so I saw you know from the bench clearing brawls uh, to the stick swinging uh, to the obstruction, the interference that uh, we tried to get rid of forever. Uh, went through. Uh, players strike in 95 and mm-hmm. a lockout uh, shutdown. We, we had a, our own strike, the official strike, uh, which uh, I was uh, front and center in. Uh, when I go to war, I, you know, I tend to want to win and I didn't uh, make any friends with Gary Bettman uh, at that time uh, <laughs> or after, but uh, he's done a great job uh, with the league. Uh, you know, they've, they've increased revenues and, uh, it's been uh, really good under his watch, uh, the growth of the game. Uh, and uh, so I think, you know, one of the big changes, uh, guys, was when uh, Wayne Gretzky got uh, traded uh, from L.A. or to L.A. from Edmonton. The game exploded in the States. Uh, it opened up markets, uh, created expansion uh, in major markets. Uh, so, you know, while we can look at different uh, styles of play and different rule changes and you know when i started the book was this thin and now it's this thick uh with with rules uh we used to go to training camp for 10 days and sit around and and go through every rule in the book and i remember as a i was uh just 20 years old i just turned 20 uh finished playing junior a i went to a referee school i started and was invited two days later to attend the nhl training camp for officials like, wow, what am I doing here? I I didn't want to be a referee. Like, duh. And uh, I'm sitting with all these guys that, uh, you know, veteran officials. I remember we there was a discussion about we had a, a rule for spearing. It was either a two-minute penalty or a five-minute penalty. So I'm sitting beside Lloyd Gilmore. His nickname was the Dean. Lloyd was the guy that refereed the Philadelphia Flyer game against the Russians in the spectrum oh, when God. the Russians left the ice because <laughs> yeah. he never called anything, right? Lloyd, Lloyd yeah. let him play. And so I said, uh, Mr. Gilmore, I said, what's the difference between a two-minute spearing penalty and a five-minute penalty? He said, well, kid, he said, if you see the stick go in, it's two minutes. 
if you see it come out the back of the guy's jersey, it's five minutes. <laughs> I went, okay. okay. <laughs> that was from Lloyd. Lloyd, Lloyd had a game in Oakland, uh, uh, Oakland Seals, and the Chicago Blackhawks are playing. And Oakland was they, – they always got beat, right? So uh, Lloyd <laughs> – crazy. He comes out for the third period. Stan Makita has a breakaway. Clearly going in, and he gets hauled down, and it's clearly a penalty shot. Yeah. And when the whistle finally blew and there was no call, Keita went over to Lloyd. He said, Lloyd, that was a freaking penalty shot. What are you doing? He said, I couldn't call it. What do you mean you couldn't call it? He said – I don't have a whistle on my hand. I left it in the dressing room. He didn't bring his whistle out for the third period. Oh the linesman was blowing the whistle. Oh, my God. I couldn't. I didn't have my whistle. <laughs> That's awesome. I so had dinner with I, Stan Makita and his wife, Jill, my last, the night before my last game in Chicago. Yeah. And Stan, God rest his soul, he, Alzheimer's, terrible, oh. yeah. uh, another victim. And uh, he uh, he told me that story with Lloyd Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to make sure we get in before we go. I know um, I want to ask you about your opinion of our dads and all, but real quick, I'm sure your last game in Philly must have been super emotional for you. In, um, and how, how was that experience, stepping on the ice for your last game? Was the whole family there and stuff? Oh yeah, we had uh, we had a suite. We had a hundred people in the reception afterwards. Mr. Snyder uh, came into the dressing room after the game and and uh, gave me a hug and well wishes. And uh, uh, I I uh, I went to mass that morning. Uh, it was a Sunday uh, and it was a uh, a feast day. And uh, I um, I went into the rink alone and I was driving down the ramp and my phone beat. It was a text message from Wayne Gretzky uh, congratulating me on a, on a great career. He said, you made the game better. Um, I wow. walked into my dressing room, unpacked my gear, hung it up, and I came out, and there's Mark Messier. And Mess gave me a hug. And uh, uh, Rangers wow. were playing, and he said, uh, you know, really great career. I had his last game. He was at my last game. Uh, it uh, And then – after the and then, and then it's all about the game. And we had a party the night before, and I said to my two call or my three colleagues, uh, I chose the referee my final game, uh, referee Kel Kelly Sutherland and, and uh, Donnie Henderson, and uh, uh, we 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 had a, a, a chat. And uh, Darren Gibbs was the other linesman, but uh, I said, guys, listen, tomorrow is the biggest game of the entire season for both of these teams. I said, one's going home and one's going into the playoffs, and we got to be absolutely the best that we can be. So we took it easy. Uh, we focused. We, you know, we, we went into that game well prepared. Uh, we let them play, but we called what had to be called. We weren't uh, a negative impact uh, on the game at all, and we could leave the ice with our heads held high. And and that's the best you can hope for. Uh, but then I, you know, I was in the dressing room alone. I had to fix my hair up before I went down the hall to the party. <laughs> and uh, I was looking in that mirror and, and, you know, it all sort of came to me reflecting on my career and, and the, this is it. It's done, man. You know, you left it all out there, but it doesn't, tomorrow's a, a whole different way of life for you. Uh, and it took a while to sink in, Kim, for sure. 
the fact that I had to write that book and, and it kept me so busy uh, was a good distraction yeah. uh, from good. from what went on. And, and you know, I was recruited by TSN right off the bat uh, when I was promoting the book. And I worked for them for five years. Uh, they created a segment for me called Come On Ref. And uh, it was uh, exceptional for them. Uh, but uh, again, I didn't make any friends. I'm an honest guy. I have to tell it like it is. Uh, I'm not a political animal. Uh, so when guys were right, I, I, you know, I supported them. But when they made the wrong call, I had to explain why and how. So it was an education for the fans. They realized that people were human. But whenever you tell an official that they didn't make the right call, uh, it stings, especially from one of their former colleagues. So yeah. it was a it was a tough position to be put in. Well, I just just flash back that again before we go. Now I have to ask you. We can sit and talk to you for three more hours. Um, we didn't hear the ninety three story. We can't leave with that. Okay, hanging. so real 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 quick. <laughs> yeah. So I, my dad taped my dad taped every game I ever did in the playoffs. I got boxes of tapes after he passed. And so I called him when I got back into South Jersey in, in uh, Voorhees. I said, Dad, did you watch the game last night? He said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, five replays later, he got him with a stick. And I said, <laughs> oh, man. I said, I still haven't seen the replay. Uh, and uh, so he said, we had a little excitement here. I said, what happened? He said, well, 3.30 in the morning, I'm, I'm laying in my chair. I fell asleep in front of the TV. I got my tidy whiteies on. He's got a little drum, but he's got the forearms like Popeye. She said, I heard this vehicle out in my driveway banging into the back of my trailer hitch on my mini motorhome. He oh back up, God. boom, bang, boom. <gasps> I went, oh, my God, that, what'd you do? He said, well, I grabbed the axe at the back door that he used for chopping wood, and I chased the guy up the street, and he said, I got a few good licks in on the back quarter panel of his car, but I couldn't get the SOB. I went. That's not that's not good, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to call NHL security. So I call NHL security. They said, we'll get back to you. Two days later, I get a call uh, from Al Wiseman in Toronto. And he said, yeah, we tracked the guy down. He's a Leafs fan. His car was in the body <laughs> shop, by the way. That's where we got him. Oh, wow. He's got axe marks. He said, uh, he's a Le we interviewed him. He's a Leafs fan. Uh, watching the game, he was so pissed off that he wanted to uh, go back to Fraser's hometown and to his family home and do some damage. Wow. I said, well, you tell that guy he's lucky that the old man didn't get him because right. the damage yeah. would have been on him. <laughs> so was he running down the street in tidy whities holding an oh, axe? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. oh, yeah. In his tidy whities with no no shoes on. It's just, you know, bare chest and swinging the axe. So my, my mother was getting obscene phone calls constantly. Your son's a no good effing blah, blah. Oh, my God. And she'd God. hang up. I said, okay, here's what you do. <laughs> I gave her one. Of the whistles. And every time an obscene phone call came in, she'd blow oh, a whistle in the rear. Nice. The, the obscene phone calls uh, stopped. Uh, but I will tell you that when <laughs> mom developed dementia into Alzheimer's and Rick and I had to move her out of the home, for her own safety into a nursing home when i packed up the house that whistle was still hanging on the skate lace by the phone really oh yeah <laughs> do you still have it yeah have yeah i do yeah. nice yeah that's that you got to keep that one yeah wow. well um 
I'm so glad you were on. And uh, one last quick thing. <laughs> Just we always ask um, opinions of our dads. And um, if you have any uh, quick little memories or anything that our dads uh, impacted you in any way. Well, obviously, uh, their their contribution to the game and they were uh, they were ahead of me. I missed uh, Bernie by one season. He retired yeah. the season before I came up. Uh, but, uh, the quality of their, the, the individuals, I think sticks out, uh, Doug Favelle and, and Bernie Perrant were, were like household names. And, uh, it, it was for me, uh, watching them at their craft at, at, as difficult as that job is, I think it's the hardest job in hockey, uh, to be a goalie. And they, they did it so well for so many years, uh, just through injury through people don't realize unless you're in the game or unless you're you're the child of one of these guys that has 100 mile an hour shots coming at them uh emotionally it mm -hmm. takes its toll let alone physically and uh so uh i uh i wished i had more on ice experience with those two legends uh but uh all i can do now uh, is just admire uh, through their their children uh, the great careers they had, and, 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 and I'll see Bernie on uh, on Wednesday when we do yes. uh, we do another show with him. Oh, good! <laughs> That'll be fun. You know, it's always fun with my dad. Like you said, bullies have to be a little crazy. <laughs> big time, big time. Yeah. And Corey, good luck on your move down south. You'll see you down here. Uh, yep. Look me up. I don't know if you like to play golf, but I'm big in the golf uh, world now, and uh, we it. can uh, we can certainly get together for that. We'll love have to have it. you on Appreciate again because there are a million more stories I would love to hear. So we'll have to have you on another time. Well, yeah, I'm not no, a short sure. answer guy, so I apologize. For that. <laughs> no, we love that. It was it was excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and um, inspirational, like uh, so inspirational. Go, going back, I'm you know just my views on parenting. Yeah. You're, uh, yeah. It's I've I've come away with something from this, Carrie, and it's not just about hockey. So yeah, Corey, I really awesome. I, I, you know what? I'll tell you. I I look back and uh, being a product of my dad uh, raising with the rod, uh, you know, and not sparing yeah. the child. Uh, yeah. I inherited certain things that I had to change, and uh, yeah. uh, as a, as a grandparent now. Man, I wish I had a do-over on some of the early decisions I made as a parent because uh, I I know that uh, I am a terrific grandparent. My wife made me a better father. My wife made me a better husband, Kathy. Uh, and uh, it's a it's all a part of the process. You know, it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon that we're in uh, throughout yeah. life. Uh, and you know, we learn along the way. Uh, I think the, the big thing is, uh, uh, one of the gifts I have is, is being able to recognize when I'm wrong and not being stubborn enough to, you know, stick to my guns. Uh, apologies, uh, are something that I did regularly because I was <laughs> often wrong. Uh, so that, that's for me now, uh, just loving the kids, uh, the grandkids, uh, and being part of their life in all of the things they do. I was at a hockey game last night at uh, Flyers Stone and Penn Socket uh, for my uh, one grandson's high school game. And uh, wow. I videoed things and I did play-by-play -play commentary uh, as I, uh, <laughs> and, and I sent him the videos and, and he would laugh. I 
did a in, you know in between period breakdown uh, you know <laughs> oh, that's awesome <laughs> live from the skate zone this is Carrie Fraser and uh, <laughs> Dumas has just had a terrific first period but, yeah, and it's 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 so much fun just love you got five each that's awesome yeah. love them to pieces yeah. love them yeah. to pieces yeah and I'm sure there's not a parent in the world not one that doesn't look back and want to change something along the way you know so oh boy I'll say yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know what's funny is we had you um, scheduled we're doing we've interviewed two reps so we're having two reps at uh, we're having Paul Stewart on yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because the only the one day you have like both of you uh that we're interviewing it's the same day so it's just okay let me give you funny. a stewie story okay okay here we All go right. i am uh, stewie stewie wasn't selected in 1990 for the to work stanley cup playoffs the first round he's assigned to me as my backup to follow me wherever i work and so first games out in la we and Gretz is there and I mean all the stars come out right so we go in we drop our bags Stewie just takes off out of the dressing room he walks into the media lounge and he's looking for all the stars and he sees Jack Nicholson and he goes over to Jack Nicholson who's at the buffet line he says oh Mr. Nicholson my name's Paul Stewart I'm a big fan of yours he said I'm the backup referee for the game tonight would you like to come in and meet the referees for the game tonight <laughs> Jack looked at him and he went now why would I want to do no. that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Stewie I come in at the end of the game no Stewie I said to our room attendant, I said, where's Stewie? He said, oh, he left 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Before the game was over. Yeah. So, yeah, he was quite the stew cat. He's got a great heart, uh, but man, I'll tell you, off the wall. He's off the wall. <laughs> so now, awesome. you never, obviously, was that your only experience actually working with him during that night? Oh, God, no. Stewie and I, uh, we did the very first experimental game with the two referee system and it's in Madison square garden. And there were probably 10 or 11 penalties called that night. And I called them all. Stewie never called a thing. So <laughs> no. I think the experiment was you have one referee that calls penalties and the other referee that doesn't, and we'll see how they work together. I think it was, you know, maybe set up to fail right off the bat, but uh, we, we got through it and, uh, you know, yeah, that must have been always, like you're the only one on the ice controlling the game as far as the refs go. And then now to have two of you on there and that ref differently sure. and do things differently. I mean, that must have been a difficult transition. Yeah. Well, it was a work in progress and, and uh, still is to this day. Uh, sometimes uh, younger guys, and it created a lot of jobs for guys from the American League. They came up right away. Uh, but there were some conflicts uh, and, and younger guys wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be part of the game. Uh and if things happened in my area uh, or the veteran guy's area, uh, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that the other official from 100 feet away would lay off the call, right. even if I decided it wasn't a penalty. And that's the worst situation because all of a sudden, if I'm shaking my head no, and the guy 100 feet away raises his arm and you hear a whistle blow, it, uh, it, it, you know, it upsets the sort of the flow of the game. And players would come to me or, or they'd say, you said it wasn't a penalty. He thought it was. Right. So, so there wasn't. It, oh, it, 
There's there's Mr. Stewart right there. There he is. You see him on there? <laughs> <laughs> We're just finishing up How with uh, Carrie, so we thought we'd uh, let you guys say hello real quick. <laughs> good to see you, buddy. What is, yeah, good to see you. And how's Kathy? Everybody's well? Everybody's good. Yeah, Kath, um, we just had some good news. She had a, for a number of years, she's had a cyst uh, in her kidney inside it, and uh, they've been monitoring it uh, every year with uh, and so a surgeon specialist uh, over at Penn. Uh, the other day and uh good school so uh it's yeah yeah it's a, it's a great cancer clinic too we're going to continue to monitor it it's not something that she should lose a kidney over at this point so uh but she's very relieved with that it caused her a lot of anxiety and uh, i mean life is good uh we're we're doing good um playing lots of golf and uh we were heading back to aruba with uh marcy and harry's family uh harrison is uh graduated from high school at uh, St. Augustine Prep a uh, year over a year ago but because of covid you know we we had to cancel the the trip uh, he's uh, I was just in Detroit with him he uh, he's going to play junior A uh, and uh, he's uh, pretty sought after uh, so he's going to play in Texas I should play down in Texas oh in the north three teams place. Three teams want to draft them down there, uh, and uh, Dallas, Corpus Christi, and El Paso. Uh, he's at a showcase in Detroit. He, he brings a pro game, plays a heavy game. He's got really good hands. So we're uh, we're having fun with all the grandkids. Those words don't enter into my uh at this house. <laughs> well I had, um, I had good hands but other in a different way <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. so listen before before i go and, and you're gonna have a ball with with the stupid here uh he's at training camp and he's working in the american league and uh we used to have to sit in after a long day on the ice we'd go in the afternoon to the chalet in Mississauga for a meeting and we'd listen to rule after rule after rule and guys had been out the night before and we're, we're tired and all of a sudden Scotty Morrison is, is uh, heading the referee chief He's heading the, uh, the rule session. And all of a sudden we hear a freaking crash at the table behind us. And I look and here's Stewie and he's, he's crawling up like this. He's crawling up from, from falling off his chair as quick as the cat is. He fell asleep, right? He fell asleep and rocked back and fell off the chair. But he, he, he looks at Scott. He says, sorry, Scott. He said, all I talked about fighting got me excited. <laughs> <laughs> we were going over the fighting rule. <laughs> what you year was quick, that? Kat. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, that was when you were in the minors. You'd know. Okay. <laughs> right. So, anyway, listen. Right. I had just switched over, and they had just put this <laughs> instigator rule in, and it was something that was uh, obviously adverse to my thinking. And uh, I was sitting next to Randy Mitten and Swede Knox, God rest his soul. And uh, I fell over. I had leaned back. <laughs> I said, oh, gee, I was trying to jump the bench, Scotty. All this fighting. <laughs> no injury, though. You got up okay. safely. Yeah. You guys All right. click me out. Thank you, and, Carrie, uh, so much. Really a pleasure. Kat, love you, man. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Hope to Thanks see you so soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> the Parant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness, bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy, organic lifestyle. Yes, we're-